Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 259. And thank you all for joining us today. And on our virtual podcast, we have two-wheeling reporter Brian Robinson. Hello, Brian. Hello, John. Good to be back with you. Good to have you back. Our online content coordinator, Jessica Ray. Hey, everybody. And Jesse is at the uh, controls today. And our motor news reporter from Florida, Lauren Morrison. Hey. Hey, you don't have the, uh, uh, you're not the only in the only place that's hot these days. So. <laughs> I know, yeah. I don't even think we're the hottest anymore. We're usually no, up there, but. <laughs> that's true. Out now in the West, it's pretty steamy. Hope everybody's yeah. air conditioning systems, both here and at home, are working today. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got uh, three vehicles we're going to run through, but I'm going to lead things off with really the return of the first marquee, shall we say, National Auto Show, um, the 2021 Chicago Auto Show that just kicked out off for an abbreviated run uh, during July in Chicago, of course. And I went there along with about 180 other journalists uh, to see what the new show was like. Needless to say, it's not quite as grand or wasn't quite as grand as the previous shows. They're still basically finding their feet after the pandemic. Uh, but there was some news, and it bodes well for the New York Auto Show coming up in August and also what Detroit is planning for uh, September and the L.A. show later this fall, which I think will be the first auto show to probably get back to anything like uh, we're used to. And this all comes during the, the whole controversy of whether auto shows, as a general rule, have outlived their usefulness, um, either for the press or the public or both. Anywho, so what news was at Chicago? Well, really, there were two pieces of news that we hadn't seen before. It was nice to be able to walk around some of the new vehicles that we've had reveals on online, but not actually seen in person. But Jeep did show up with their new Compass. And uh, this is a vehicle that basically has already been shown quite a while ago in Asia. And it doesn't look that much different. The, the Compass, the, the Compact Compass is one of their most um, high volume vehicles globally, particularly in China. And uh, it looks about the same on the outside, minor change to the seven slot grill, a little bit different headlights, some LEDs, taillights slightly different, but inside looks a lot more like what we've seen so far with the Grand Wagoneer and the uh, uh, Grand Wagon, the Grand Cherokee L. Very modern, very linear across, almost a straight line with a big screen that sort of sits in the middle, but above the dash instead of in the dash. And um, very modern looking. And they've loaded it up with uh, a lot more high-tech safety features and infotainment including wireless charging. Um, nothing new in the powertrain department, nothing new in the four by four apartment, but a nice, a decent facelift for the, a very important vehicle for Jeep. And they actually spend most of their time uh, talking about the, the Wrangler E and their expectations for it. And the fact that apparently it, sales are going extremely well. They use the word sold out. Two questions if I may, Mr. Davis. A period of time, but. 
So right, uh, a lot going Nissan on. G, we do know still they're going to be doing a lot more uh, air reveals coming up at the New York Auto Show in B, August. The uh, other was over at the Volkswagen, Volkswagen stand. They finally have brought base golf the eighth generation uh, GTI Golf, golf GTI to the U.S. along with the fifth iteration of the um, what we used to call of the of the R, the Golf R, and both looking. Uh, particularly ready to run. I mean, the hot hatchback is alive and well, at least at Volkswagen. Uh, the numbers are very close to what the uh, two have in Europe, uh, 241 for horsepower on the GTI and 295 over on the R. Uh, so here you have, once again, this square, two box, you know, everybody knows what a Volkswagen Golf looks like. Uh, front wheel drive for the GTI, ready to pick up that hatchback, hot hatchback mantle that we were one of the first people to really uh, show back in the uh, 80s on video. And then over on the R, the all-wheel, it is, does have a new all-wheel drive system for the R. Uh, both vehicles now have torque vectoring, uh, the GTI for the front axle, obviously, and the R for the rear axle. Um, automatic and manual and six-speed manual and seven-speed DCT for the GTI, a six-speed manual only for the R. And both will go on sale this fall as 2022 models. And that really, uh, besides the deep dish pizza that they serve for breakfast, pretty much wrapped up the, the news from Chicago. It was nice to be back there. And to a person, we all said, it was great to be in Chicago when we didn't have to worry about freezing to death. Yes, sir, if I can answer them. On the latter, I'm disappointed because to me, the, um, the Golf is such an identifiable vehicle for Volkswagen, but with all of the SUVs they've got and the fact that sales fell off so badly on the Golfs, I can see it. At least they're keeping it alive here as a performance vehicle, which means that if things ever change, they'll have an easier way of integrating it and bringing it back. But personally, I'm pretty disappointed to see cars that have a brand like Volkswagen who has built their entire reputation up to now, basically on cars you know, walking away from their last icon. They'd already done it with the, with the Beetle and now the Golf. So it'll, I'm happy that they haven't completely abandoned it, but um, disappointed as any enthusiast, I think, because the regular Golf, just the straight out of the box, plain Golf was one of the best handling, least expensive cars uh, in the market that you could get. Uh, as for the Z, it was the first time I had seen the concept. They are going to show the production vehicle at New York. Uh, it'll actually show up, I think, the day before the, the media day. So they don't have to pay the uh, unions there, I guess, a lot of money. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's got a little 370 in the rear. It's got much more of the original 240 up front. It is lower uh, than I thought it would be, even in, from the pictures. It looks better standing above it looking down at a natural angle than any of the photographs. The photographs almost make it look like 
I won't say crude, but not real. Like this is too smooth to be a production vehicle. Um, in person, it still has a little of that concept look, but it looks, if you, if you think about uh, the Tesla pickup truck, how weird that looks and how clean but chiseled it looks, this has a somewhat similar vibe to it. So it looks very modern, I think, and will appeal to uh, a new generation more than uh, maybe just uh, a retro brought forward. It's, it's more than just a modernization uh, of, a, of a classic shape. It does have the proportions right. I thought they looked very, very good. Um, and, um, you know, power-wise, I think they were, you didn't give a whole lot of details, but they were pretty upbeat about what it was going to be. And um, we stood, we actually had a little walk around uh, on it, and uh, it was, it looks pretty good. I, I'm kind of curious to see whether or not they'll, I think they're going to have to raise it to make room in the wheel wells for actual driving. It sits down too much on the on the tires right now. So to more of a typical concept really than we've seen lately. So be curious to see. I don't think they're gonna change much on the body though. Well, no That's more, my... August 17th. I just had a fewer right. question about that actually, so. Yeah, yeah it's kind of probably be an offsite uh, reveal and then they'll have it at the show. All right, I've taken up too much time. Uh, I'm going to switch now over to Lauren, Jaguar, XF, and F-Pace. Where, when, how, and why? So went down to Miami maybe like a week ago, 2021. Um, XF, it's their, you know, their only sedan in their lineup until they reveal their uh, next generation XJ, which is going to be an electric model. Um, I think the big news out of this was the interior. The only carryover from the previous generation was um the glove box they said so oh. everything i don't know it just it just felt more luxurious um not a lot of plastics everything more wood or open open wood um aluminum just how is it leather. how is it laid out there's the screen i'm assuming it's a bigger screen yeah is it still in dash or does it stick above the dash because you know they've they've kept things fairly conservative up till now yeah, um, I'm trying to think now. Um, I think it was in the dash, but the big thing for me was they had like the old rotary knobs, which I don't, I'm not a big fan of. Rotary um, so, Yeah, so now that they have like the, uh, like a lever, which was way easier. They have a new, it's a new infotainment system called Pivi Pro, which I like better. It just seemed not to lag as much, was very responsive, easy to navigate, great layout. Um, I don't know, it's a, a peppy drive, fun drive. They went from offering 10 derivatives, so down to just three. So your powertrain options are limited, but at some point, I mean, 10, op 10 options, I think it, it kind of gets, gets a little muddy. It's sort of streamlined the process. Um, you don't have a supercharged V6, what I think, so I think some people were bummed about that, but I don't know, I had fun driving it, um, even in Miami traffic, it's fun, peppy, great handling. Um, over to the F-Pace, same thing, interior, just bumped it up a notch. Um, they went down from 12 derivatives per powertrain down to five, um, but still a fun sporty vehicle to drive. Uh, they also have the new Pivi Pro infotainment system, a bigger screen. Um, so just minor upgrades, but I think overall it was a great drive for both vehicles. Did they, did they say anything else about where they're going to add any more uh, SUVs to their lineup? That's another they, brand we mostly know as a car brand. 
Yeah, they're, um, they didn't really talk a whole bunch about that. Um, they talked a, a little bit about, you know, everybody's all going electric, all, all about electric. Um, so they said, stay tuned, more to come on that was really the, the answer to all our electric questions. Um, but I definitely think that they are, you know, with the XF being their only sedan in their lineup, definitely more of a, an SUV uh, lineup yeah. these days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's nice to see them hanging in there too, because yeah. uh, their fortunes of late have not been uh, exactly stellar. Yeah. Um, fun drive. Porsche, another uh, fun drive for Brian Robinson. Uh, why don't you take it away, Brian? Uh, yes, sir. The all new GT3 touring edition of the, well, the GT3 is all new for 22. Uh, we just had that in and tested it. That'll be on in our early on in our new season. So stay tuned for that. Uh, this is the Touring Edition, which they also did last-gen GT3. Same basic concept, a few notable differences this time around. So if you're listening, you obviously know what a 911 looks like. <laughs> and the GT3 is essentially the road-going version of their GT race car. So it has a huge fixed rear wing on the back. Uh, with the Touring Package, things go back to the standard Carrera-style automatic deploying spoiler but it operates slightly different uh, here in the GT3. Other than that, the touring package, it gets um, silver exterior trim around the windows instead of black, a different front fascia, the grill on the engine cover uh, is different. Inside, maybe a little more different. You can, if you get the optional leather package, uh, you get nicer looking leather than in the standard GT3. It's kind of an embossed weave looking pattern all over the dash and doors and you get more of it. And you can do a lot more customization. The regular GT3 is pretty limited and what they'll let you put in it. Uh, here with the touring package, you can get a lot more different trims and surfaces and stuff like that. Uh, what hasn't changed is actually the best news. Everything underneath is the same. So you get the full 502 horsepower, four liter nationally aspirated engine from basically a slight revision from what debuted in the 911 Speedster a couple years ago. Mm. Um, and you get the full GT spec adjustable suspension. Uh, that engine is as amazing as always, definitely in the top two or three engines out there right now. Uh, when it comes to the transmissions, it's a little odd. The GT3 and the standard GT3, the PDK is standard. The manual is a no cost option. Here with the touring package, it's the manual that's standard with the PDK optional. Never really got a good reasoning behind that. Uh, and it's the GT shop, uh, race shop, six-speed manual and seven-speed PDK, not the regular Carreras, seven-speed manual and eight-speed automatic. Uh, beyond that, I mean, it's phenomenal car to drive. I mean, these events are a lot different now. And so basically, I had a full day with a car in Southern California all to myself. So. Tough, tough duty. No, no, I just headed for the canyons and just, you know, roads I'm familiar with, just enjoying the car and then finding new roads that I've never been on before. I mean, it was just, it's a glorious car to drive. You really, really have so, to drive it. So Porsche keeps slicing this, the onion, you know, or, or the whatever, uh, whatever you slice. So this is kind of like a gentrified GT3, right? I mean, it's, it's for the person who's obviously got a lot of money and would love to have the, you know, a, a GT3, but doesn't really want to come down to, uh, the wants to keep their comfort level up. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. The GT3, they're, they're spinning that as the track day car. 
Right. And the scoring package is more of that daily driver. Same price for either one. It's around $161,000. Uh, you can get PDK or manual, same price. Doesn't matter. But yeah, just a little more civilized and customizable for the street. So you've already made room in your garage for one, right? <laughs> um, I have no room in my garage for even me to stand in there at some points. But, uh, <laughs> I'll have to like, do some work on that. Feels like my house. Well, thanks, Brian. Jessica, talking about changing gears, uh, you basically are. Um, so isn't this fitting? So you're you're the only one on the air today that doesn't have a houseful full of people, and. Uh, Right. And you're going to talk, talk about a minivan. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so our upcoming road test, of course, is with the new 2021 Chrysler Pacifica. Um, obviously, big news. I mean, we've had a lot of vans in recently because uh, yeah. there's been a lot of updates going on. Um, and the new Kia and so forth. Yeah. Like. Well, we will have the new Kia in uh, the Toyota, Sienna and the Honda Odyssey. We've all tested those within the past about year. Um, so, uh, exterior wise of the Pacifica, not a ton has changed, certainly is more definitely of a, of a refresh than anything. Um, so it looks very similar, but of course, like the taillights are much more sleeker as they go all the way across, um, the rear and it looks really nice. Still very much a van, of course. Um, but if you're buying a minivan, you're not buying it because it looks good. Um, so engine options, many people will be happy. It keeps the 3.6 liter V6, um, has 287 horsepower. Of course, with that, you don't get such good gas mileage as if you say went with the hybrid Sienna, mm -hmm. um, you know, with the Pacifica only getting uh, 20 combined, not great. Um, but of course, you, this also does come with available all-wheel drive, which I know is a big uh, make-it-or-break-it option for a lot of people when they go minivan shopping. The interior doesn't change a ton, but the pinnacle that we had was pretty luxurious. Um, that, and this, this is their new trim. This is their effort to do, uh, well, to go over board luxury wise, I guess, you know, they've always been nice because of the Chrysler brand, but this is a new level, a new stretch. Correct. And it's sort of it is in the same vein as um, like even the, the Grand Cherokee L that I tested the Summit Reserve, you know, it's like, all right, we've, we've known these vehicles for a very long time, but now they're taking it up to just another level because people people buy them, you know, and they want these um, higher trim levels. Um, so the, there is no stow and go seating for the second row. For the pinnacle. For the pinnacle. And that, that was, that got me. It's like, okay, that is the one feature that they have that nobody else has, the actual fold into the floor second row. They weren't able to do it on the hybrid for obvious reasons. They had to to make room for the battery. And here on this vehicle, you get the bins, but you don't, the seats won't fit in them. So that kind of disappointed me. I mean, I would probably never buy it for that reason, because to me, the stow and the go is so great. Brian, you look like- Well, well yeah, a couple of things. One, the stow and go seats are 
most people would say incredibly uncomfortable. So yeah, that's because true. because true. they are so small to fold into the floor. These are like much bigger. And if you're actually hauling grandma around in the back seat, she's going to love you. Uh, she's not going to care about the stone go. So that that's uh, I mean that's obviously the pur purpose. I mean yeah, they've answered yeah. they've answered the criticism they've had since they introduced stone go. The seats had to be so thin to fit that they were Correct. never comfortable, which and, kind of amazes me that. They couldn't conquer that, but yeah. And this is the first time we got to drive the all-wheel drive one, which actually right. came out at the end of twenty. Yeah, I love the fact that they have all-wheel drive in it. I was surprised they made it standard in the upper trim levels. Yeah, uh, because there's a lot of people I think that would not want it, uh, especially as uh, Jessica was just saying with fuel economy, uh, it's worse with the all-wheel drive. So that seems odd to me, but I love the fact that they do have it available now. Yeah, I agree because you know people in the southeast and in the uh, you know the west they you know even though all-wheel drive has some advantages even in wet just wet weather they just usually just don't want it uh, but maybe that has to do with ease of manufacturing but I my personal impression and Jessica I sort of cut you off was that they did a really nice job on the interior of making it look more upscale. Yeah, absolutely, I, I agree and. You know, when I um, traveled to go to the, uh, you know, Grand Cherokee event that they had in Detroit, they were bussing us around in Pacificas. So I got to do what a lot of times we don't get to do. And right in the back. Passenger. <laughs> so, and it was, it was really comfortable. And of course, you know, when a lot of times when you go on these press trips, you know, they're anticipating um, people who are much larger than me. Um, in, in the, so, and it fits people comfortably, so uh, adults comfortably. So, uh, you know. Does that mean you were in the third row? I was in the back. I went all the way back there, yeah. I always take one for the team, John. Come no, I was going to say, you volunteered for that, I'm, I'm sure. a middle seat sort of person. I'm like, listen, I, I, I understand <laughs> space. You know, I get it. So, um, but overall, I mean, it's, it's certainly a great option and I think it's, uh, of course, one thing that I think is so interesting is the fan cam, you know? No, that, tell us about the that. The coolest thing to me, Greg mentioned it uh, on a couple podcasts ago, and in our road test, you'll actually see, uh, we tested it out, but um, essentially with the Uconnect 5 infotainment system, you can, there's cameras in the ceiling for you to, check on all of your kids um, and you can even click on a seat and it'll zoom in to that specific child. So, or whomever is back there. Um, so it's just really handy, already built in system that you have. Yeah. You can't get away from anything or anything. Can't get away from anything. All right, thanks everybody. Let's move on to our lightning round. Um, for a brand that is known for their powerful uh, gas guzzling engines, Dodge has announced during the Stellantis recent EV day that they will be producing an all-electric muscle car by 2024, and it will be branding their future EVs as e-muscle cars. Any comments from anybody about this? Uh, Brian love it. would be first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, lo I love it. Uh, I think it's a logical next step. I will be very surprised if it's actually out by 2024. And the best news is that it won't have an actual transmission. 
so you don't have to worry about replacing that at 90,000 miles. <laughs> and I've learned a lot of Dodges and Chrysler, so don't think I'm a hater. I'm just <laughs> saying the, stating the obvious. It seemed to me like they really had to, to stay up late one night to, to figure out what to do. Everybody else was basically running around talking about their their EV fleets and Stellantis have been a little quiet. I mean, obviously they've done the, the Jeeps and they've done some more stuff overseas, but not too much here. So they picked their their most visible vehicle outside of Jeep, I guess, with the, the Dodge Performance sedans and coupes. Uh, I, all I hope is I hope they somehow managed to come up with a, uh, a convincing uh, audio, both inside and outside the car to see a Dodge muscle car coming at you with no sound except maybe the bird, bird twerk uh, twerk to get you out of the way would seem to be pretty disappointing for me but that was my that was my thing too is like I just can't imagine any muscle car without without sound like I don't I just yeah. can't even imagine it in my head but I don't know I'm not gonna knock it until I drive and see what it's all about well we know it's going to be fast every ev is fast even the the slowest evs are knocking out zero to 60 times of six and seven seconds which you know up until five years ago was considered really way above average or below average you know as, as far as fast um so they've got to do something more than just make it fast it has to have something you as Brian, you look like you're ready to say something. Uh, in regards to the sound, um, I would much, I enjoy silence in EVs. I would much rather have just that high speed whirring electric motor sound than some kind of fake exhaust rumble. That, right, yeah, but, but uh, is there a way to make it sound more yeah, mus the, muscular? Yeah, the Taycan. <laughs> Yeah, the Taycan takes that actual electric motor sound and amplifies it. Good point. Which, again, is a little fake, but, and it sounds, I think it sounds better than like the fake rumbly. Type oh, I don't think you, I don't think you, if you put a, uh, an internal combustion engine sound with it, that's kind of, that's really going to be terrible. So, but they got to, they got to spend some time thinking about what it's going to sound like. And I'm sure they will, but, but you're right. The, uh, the Porsche uh, has, uh, did it does a decent job of that. I think Lauren has an emergency. So <laughs> Jessica, any comment? Yeah, I mean, um, about time, of course. Um, I, I know they've sort of gotten, Stellantis has gotten by with <laughs> Sorry, potty break for a toddler. <laughs> uh, but Stellantis has gotten by, you know, like right now they're focusing a lot on the four by E which I think, you know, and, and we'll certainly be testing quite a few in the next, within the next like six months. And we've gotten our first taste with the Wrangler 4xe. Um, I'm not completely sold on them, mostly just because if you aren't using the electric part, you're getting worse ga gas yeah. than if you had just a regular standard four-cylinder <laughs> turbo you're carrying around a lot of extra weight and what was it that someone was saying before we actually started the podcast about people not really knowing what they're buying yes yeah, so i sort of been hearing a little bit uh obviously we know there's a car shortage going on and so people are just buying whatever they can get their hands on and weirdly they're having really i, I say really good but they're having lease deals for the for recent wranglers um and sometimes the only Wrangler they have on the lot is the 4xe. So people are 
leasing and buying them without actually even understanding that they're buying a plug-in hybrid. Wow. <laughs> Which What's is the extra port for, folks? Yeah. <laughs> I, well, it's... I, I get if you're like not a car person, you don't really understand the PHEV, like no, I understand don't. that. Um, but dealerships selling people cars that they don't get, that bothers oh, Yeah, that's something they would never do. Yeah. <laughs> never. Uh, but you know, it's such a sales, it's, it's such a strong sales point. Look folks, we're selling you a vehicle that will do everything that you normally expect of a Wrangler, but also allow you to drive around on commuting and so forth without ever putting any gas in it. I mean, it just, it's, a, it's a sales point, you would think. Uh, I don't know if people care too much, but I guess they- The would. American automotive scene. Right, it's, anyway, but obviously it's about time Dodge, you know, has, plan plans for an EV muscle car um at some point they're going to stop having or being even able to produce these OEM Hellcat engines um that's inevitable um so it's a matter of time yeah we don't know what the new uh fuel economy standards are going to be they could come out any day now and I think it's going to be very difficult for a manufacturer to make uh, any kind of powerful internal combustion engine in a few years, but we've said that before, so we'll see. Okay, let's move on to our question from John W. Uh, it is my concern that all of the new driving aids will lead to new generations of less skilled, less attentive drivers. With every new feature that allows drivers to pay less attention to what is going on around them, adapt to cruise control, lane keep assist, Aren't we just telling drivers it's okay to ignore their surroundings and for that matter, other drivers? I think I know what the answer is gonna to be to this one. Who would like to start? Uh, I, get, I get what he's saying, absolutely. But uh, there's no putting that genie back in the bottle. These things are expected now and yeah. people want them and demand them. And absolutely, if they could tune out a little bit more while they're driving, they will do it. I was at an event right before the pandemic and the cars we were driving, they didn't have backup cameras in them. They, the central screen wasn't fully set up. And you had thought people had never been in reverse in a car before. <laughs> They're like, whoa, what am I supposed to do? It was so bizarre. And these people are, rely- these are per- automotive well, riders, right? Well, yeah. yeah. Sort of. <laughs> okay, Jessica, what's your opinion? Do these new driving aids make you less attentive? I think you're going to agree. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get where... John's coming from, um, I, I completely understand. It's certainly nerving, I think a lot of times, but I don't, I don't know about you, whenever I'm driving with adaptive cruise control with lane keep assist, I'm usually paying extra close attention too because I also am like, do I trust this 100%, you know? Yeah. But also keep in mind that when cars have these abilities in them, they're monitoring you, you know, they're paying attention to you. So um, if you don't have your hands on the wheel, it's going to tell you, put your hands back on the wheel. If it's noticing that your eyes are not facing forward, most of these new cars, new cars will tell you, Hey, looks like you're not paying attention. You need to be paying more attention. Um, Or they have sound alerts. They have uh, if your hands are on the steering wheel, you'll get a vibration on the steering wheel. 
um, I'll say even um, when you're not using these systems, I, we have the, a long-term Acura TLX and that'll tell you, even if, I like to drive with like my hand on top of the steering wheel and that blocks mm. sensors a lot of the time. And it'll tell you, yep. And it'll tell you, hey, seems like you're, uh, you're getting a little drowsy or you're not paying yeah. close attention. And I'm like, I get actually really offended because I'm <laughs> like, wait a second, I am paying attention. <laughs> um, but I, I get where he's coming from. I think part of that has to do with we need to educate people on these systems and that needs to be within I think probably built-in driver education I also don't think we have great driver education in this country either right. I think anybody could really get a driver's license um and of and course the, and the manufacturers spend a ton of money educating the salespeople to show this stuff to customers and they don't do it yes and I think if anything it will be a much bigger issue when it comes to like more people getting access to level two autonomous systems within their vehicles the hands-free driving um i think if anything that is a little bit more of a concern than some of just these assistance systems i think partially because of a lot of people's um idea of like what tesla is and i think they get the wrong idea of of the their autonomous systems and think that it's really like a self-driving right. system when it's not and it will never it won't be it's it not probably won't be for a long long time we will not have self-driving cars for a very very long time at if, least out on the highways. correct and right. so at this point if you are doing something other than paying attention while you're driving it is illegal so uh, that just needs to be like made clear <laughs> The uh, Hyundai Pal say that we had for over a year. If you drift, if you are paying attention, and it or you don't have your hands well, if you if you activate the the uh, the lane keep assist, uh, it keeps popping up and says, "Why don't you take a break? Why don't you take a break?" And it infuriates me. It's like I know what I'm doing. I'm right. you know. But anyway. <laughs> Lauren, any uh, comment on this? No, I mean, I just agree with everybody. There's no going back. We're only moving forward. And I don't know. I think these little tools kind of are helping to build us when eventually, I mean, you know, I don't know how long, 100 years down the line, when we are 100% autonomous, it's just, you know, we it would be jarring if we went from nothing to everything all in one day. So I think it's just a slow build. And like everybody said, it it's an assistant. It's not a hundred percent. You've got to be paying attention. You've got to have some kind of control over the car. So I, I don't know. I, you know, I see where John's coming from, but. I, there's also something else that just occurred to me. We're all complaining these days about people looking at their cell phones and doing things that other than actually driving while they're driving it used to be eating. And now it's using their cell phones, despite all the state laws that have been passed and everything else. If you've got all these systems like lane keep assist and so forth, they may actually keep those people from drifting over into your lane, which they do all the time. It absolutely drives me crazy. Uh, recently, uh, 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 one of uh, the executives where we work, uh, he was driving normally and uh, there was a pickup truck next to him, a late model one with the tires that extend out beyond the fenders and the person was on their phone and they drifted over to him and just tore up the side of his car. So if these systems would help prevent that, 
maybe it's a plus in another way that we really hadn't thought of yet. Anyway, as they get out there and become more numerous. But thank you, John. I think actually it was an extremely thought-provoking question. Uh, any rant and raves other than what we've just done from anybody? Silence is golden. No. I have. Oh, uh, there she is. Maybe I don't have like maybe a rave, maybe a rave. Maybe maybe this is considered a rave. But one thing I wanted to talk about just quickly before we end this podcast is I just want to thank everybody who's listening um, for their patience during this time because we know that these Zoom podcasts are not ideal, um, and I know there are people out there who miss our in studio podcasts. Really. Yes. Okay. Oh, absolutely. John, John, I read everything. I know you do. You are our <laughs> depositor of all comments. Um, so I just wanted to thank everybody who's listening uh, uh, to this or watching this because we do put up these video podcasts um, for, you know, your patience during this time. Like I said, I know it's not ideal. We know it's not ideal. Um, but of course, we have to answer to a higher power. <laughs> um, for quite a bit of time, we were not allowed to be together. Yeah. And it, not even six feet. Right. Um, and of course, a lot of people don't know this, but there's quite a bit of construction going on at Motor Week HQ right now in our studios. Um, we're having a we're we're getting a really the original Motor Week studio, I should say because that's where the first mm, nine seasons yep. I would say, were shot. Like John's in the studio is getting a huge revamp, a lot of construction going on. Um, so just not ideal, but we should be back to uh, sort of studio-esque podcasts sometime in the fall. Don't know yeah, yet. Probably, probably not before the end of uh, October. We don't know really. We don't uh, know. Right now, uh, the building, our, our mate, we're, Motor Week is produced by Maryland Public Television, and it's the biggest revamp in the building that's happened since uh, the building was built over 50 years ago. So it's so noisy, uh, you know, sound studios, you can't really use them very much. So, and we've all gotten very used to doing this at home too, which is another factor. Really. Well, we can like I can hear the groans the first time everybody has to go into work to do a <laughs> podcast in the studio. So. And we'll still have to be able to wire ourselves up so people like Lauren can uh, participate from Florida. Yeah, hopefully I can wrangle up these hellions. That's <laughs> sorry about that, guys. Everybody listening, watching, little uh, sideshow for you. Uh, it was great having everybody, and thanks very much, Lauren, for joining us. Yeah, thanks, thanks Jessica. Me. Thanks, Brian. Thanks everybody out there for listening, and we hope in some cases even watching our podcast today. Remember. Uh, Motor Week is available on all, just about all public television stations around the country. Uh, if you're curious as to where you can see us uh, when we first put out the new episodes, go to motorweek.org. Up in the corner, there's a tab you pull down about the show, and you can put in your zip code, and it'll give you the station and the time in your local area. You obviously also can see uh, full episodes of the show at pbs.org motorweek and our website, motorweek.org, and all of our segments and some of our shows actually still, including our anniversary show, uh, are up on our uh, youtube.com slash motorweek website, where uh, last time I checked, about upwards of 3 million of you are, are checking in on us every month. And then, of course, 
You can also hop over to our cable partner at Motor Trend, who on Tuesday nights uh, every week airs a new Motor Week. So with that said, thanks all for joining us and thank you for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.